Podcast. You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics, and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 264. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Annika Harrison and Pontus Bökba. Sziasztok! Hello! Hey son, hey son! Oh, good to be back. How are you guys? Good. Very well, very well. Good, good. As I told you guys just before, my computer has been acting up, but um, I think I've wrestled it to the ground now and told it who is the boss. <laughs> so hopefully it will work okay. during this recording. Did, did the computer actually accept that? Well, it had to. I, I, okay. I threatened to pull the plug. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I've, I've I've got a friend of mine who used to say all the time that uh, the problem with computers and machines in general, but specifically computers, is that they tend to do what you ask them to, <laughs> not what you want them to do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and right. they usually also um, like they solve problems that wouldn't be there without them. <laughs> oh yeah, that, that can be said about a lot of things. True. <laughs> so let's just stick with uh, science and exploration and all that stuff. Have you guys uh, seen the breathtaking photos yes. sent over by uh, Percy Perseverance? <laughs> yeah, Percy. <And> Percy. <laughs> Percy. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's fantastic. The panorama. Oh my god. But I'm almost more excited about what the European Space Agency's ExoMars orbiter did. Mm-hmm. Did you see that photo too? No. What did they do? So it captured the landing site and they identified all the different parts that fell on the ground of Mars. <laughs> right. From orbit around Mars. Wow. That is just so amazing. I mean, that's really cool that we can now yeah. do that. We can, science. We can have orbit. Yeah. <laughs> science, bitches. Yeah. That's <laughs> it works. It's magic that works. <laughs> I, I'm actually impressed that they can send such high resolution yeah. pictures and even films, short films from, because, it, you know, yeah. we sometimes uh, complain about bandwidth. Yeah. But <laughs> sending things from Mars, that has to be... <laughs> quite difficult actually <laughs> yeah. to get all of those bits zeros and ones in, in, down to earth yeah it's 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 pretty sad to think about that i actually in if i work at school i have to pretty much walk to the parking lot to get any <laughs> like any internet or even um like <laughs> reception yeah. to call people and they can send stuff from Mars. <laughs> or even further than that. Right. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, they, they have to work on the bandwidth because uh, Perseverance is equipped with the greatest number of cameras that has ever been packed on one rover. So uh, we are expecting a lot of yeah. excitement about all that, <laughs> that, that that has been captured. But yeah, this has been uh, taken from orbit and it can actually be spotted. Uh, the parachute and the descent stage the Perseverance rover itself and the heat shield, everything is there. And uh, <laughs> it bugs me a little bit that they are making such a mess down there. The, the heat shield is over there, and the, yeah. the the sky crane is over there, and there's the parachute. Yeah, they need to do a better job in tidying up the place. Well, we we are literally littering the place. So <laughs> literally, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so what else is new? 
Well, in Germany, <laughs> it actually it's a bit funny because something happened on the 1st of March at midnight. And that was people were actually queuing in front of hairdressers. <laughs> Because, yes, some of them opened at midnight. Aren't they supposed to be closed? No. Okay. Hairdressers opened again on the 1st of March. And, yes, some of them opened really at 12.01. In the morning? Yeah, in the morning. So, like... Yeah, it's like a bit of a demonstration in itself. Yeah. Right? Like a midnight cut. <laughs> and people have been so desperate to get their yeah. haircut that, oh my God. Yeah. I know several who, who really went yesterday, the first of March, first day in the morning or like even at midnight. Because, yeah, I think for some people, this is essential work. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, I think all of us, we are not really super hair people that have to have it managed every time, <laughs> every week or so. But mm -hmm. there are people like that who have to go to the hairdresser every week. And they were there pretty much yesterday. And yeah, it was a controversial decision to open them again in Germany because um, we also look at a bit of a pickup of more cases again. So mm -hmm. like, cases are going mm -hmm. up again, despite actually still being in lockdown. Yes, but at least now people will die with a beautiful haircut. Yes, they don't have to style them when they're already dead, you know. That's important when you're being uh, allowed in uh, through the gates of heaven. It's important to have a, a good haircut. <laughs> <laughs> well. Otherwise they won't let you in and you just go straight to hell. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, straight to hell. Oh, talking about hell. <laughs> you know where is hell right now in some parts of Europe? It's down in Sicily. Ooh. Oh, yes. Volcanoes. Oh, my God. Or one volcano. I am actually in love with Mount Etna. <laughs> I've climbed it several times. <laughs> <laughs> All right. A bit exaggerating, but exaggerating a little bit here because I, I mostly used the, the cable car and the Jeeps that go up. Mm -hmm. But I did my fair share of hiking on Etna as well. And I would love to be there or around that mountain right now. So far, as of the, the time of recording, there has been eight different eruptions uh, going on on Mount Etna eight times in just a few weeks which is amazing Etna mm -hmm. usually is not that active and uh, there are paroxysms which are lava fountains and uh, th these are explosive kind of eruptive activities but ash is going up as high as several kilometers and there's been bushfires caused by lava bombs and now even rocks falling from the sky so it must be so amazing it doesn't it doesn't sound optimal to me I'm, I wonder why you're so excited it's probably pretty annoying for the people who are there you know what I actually thought about that and I'm pretty sure that they are Sicilian people still <laughs> so that means that they're gonna be more worried about their haircut <laughs> than ash falling from the sky. So, you know, that's, that's the same thing with people around Mount Vesuvius. They don't care. <laughs> wow. I'm not saying that there are no disruptions, there are no issues, problems, uh, accidents even. I'm hoping that there will be no injuries uh, or fatalities even. But uh, when activities of that kind are happening, that's absolutely amazing, at least to me. <laughs> and uh, I'm pretty sure that there are scientists working on Mount Etna that, that feel the same way about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's beautiful. Yeah, I'm glad you're pleased with it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I only saw it in eruption once while I was on it. Oh, so yeah, <laughs> but it was it was a small little eruption on uh, 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 around the top. Did you throw a ring into it? No, 
<laughs> and I didn't even uh, jump in it. Good. <laughs> like uh, Empedocles is believed to have jumped into the crater of Mount Etna, actually, or thrown, or who knows. But uh, <laughs> he's supposed to have died there. Hmm. Anyhow, amazing things happening. Not much to do with uh, skepticism, though. But uh, what does do a lot with skepticism is one of the skeptical organizations of Europe, which is uh, Observatoire Zététique. Gesundheit. In France. Mais oui. <laughs> do you remember that on episode 64, we interviewed one of its founders, Florent Martin? Yes, we did. This, is, this was before you were born, uh, Annika, but <laughs> Anderson and I did it. <laughs> of course, because I'm only five years old, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So um, why I'm mentioning this is because for some reason they now felt the need to let the world know that uh, where they can be uh, reached. <laughs> and uh, I'd like to share it. We are a European podcast, so I think it's worth uh, letting everyone know that if you speak or understand French, you can find a forum under the name Observatoire Zététique, but there is a Facebook group as well, which is not strictly linked to the organization, but it's run by Florent Martin. Uh, there is a Facebook page, of course. You can sign up to a newsletter. You can uh, follow them on Twitter, and there is a mailing list of supporters as well that you can sign up to. So if you're interested in a lot of material that is being shared in French, and you do understand French, do follow them. Observatoire Zététique, and of course, that, that article that uh, lists all the available um, channels that I, I just mentioned will be available on our website. Oh, is our website now okay? Our website is fine now. Okay. It has been removed from the continent of Australia. Nice, nice. <laughs> and returned back to Europe. Good. We're not the European uh, Australian Skeptics Podcast anymore. <laughs> you Australian. Well, I, I'm saying that, but actually the Facebook lifted the, the ban on all websites that was blocked because of this uh, controversy. So I, they may still think that we belong to Australia, but at least you can now <laughs> uh, share our content again. Very good. But we definitely don't have anything to do with Rupert Murdoch. No, not yet. We're still waiting for his offer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or the pharma lobby can also <laughs> give us some money, right? <laughs> Big pharma. <laughs> Big pharma. <laughs> All right, so... All is good, or at least we are we are moving to the right direction. And as such, we should probably move into the right direction with the show as well, which is actually doing it. <laughs> and why don't we start with the usual stuff, which is when we find out what happened this week in skepticism. Yeah, and this week something really cool happened, and that is that Brian Edward Cox was born on the 3rd of March, 1968. Woo! Hmm, happy birthday. And for those who don't know him... He's a musician. An English uh, physicist and oh. former musician. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he's a professor of particle physics and a writer of popular science books. And he's also uh, claimed to be the unofficial successor of Sir David Attenborough and Patrick Moore for the BBC. So he's active in a lot of areas and he's a really cool person. So I would say let's wish him a happy birthday. <laughs> right, absolutely. And uh, I can recommend the, the Infinite Monkey Cage, uh, the podcast, yep. which he has together with Robin Inns. And uh, it, it's a delight to hear. They always have very interested guests. Yeah, uh, Eric Idle. 
from time to time, who is the Monty Python guy, but a lot of interesting scientists as well, and always somebody who's comedians. Comedians, comedians I love yeah. that when that happens. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so uh, listen to that. Uh, uh, I, I really recommend it. I saw them both uh, mm-hmm. in Copenhagen a couple of years ago. Must have been two, three years ago. It was very good. Oh, and stay tuned for a very nice uh, quote from uh, Brian Cox. <laughs> Ooh. All right. Thank you very much, Annika. Thank you. And we are moving on to Pontus poking the Pope. All right. So a couple of news this week. Uh, first, for over 20 years, the Pope's that have been in uh, office have planned to uh, go to Iraq, uh, but not uh, succeeding. The first one was John Paul II. That was cancelled due to uh, security reasons. And then Benedict uh, tried to do it as well. But uh, that didn't happen. And Frankie has tried for years too. And now he is going. (laughs) It's really strange that he does it now because it's everything seems to be going wrong for him uh, on that on this trip. Um, there have, of course, been uh, unrest in Iraq. There have been suicide attacks in Baghdad, for one thing. There have been this uh, rocket attack, uh, uh, likely with Iranian links. And that, in turn, was then connected to why Biden ordered an airstrike in Syria. But that's Syria, of course. So it, uh, it's not very peaceful there at the moment in the area. And then, of course, there is the COVID situation. And that means that religious gatherings in mosques and churches are currently banned in Iraq. And of course, if you send the Pope anywhere, there's a big risk that crowds will want to greet him, uh, which is a a COVID risk or it's a a threat to the public to gather in, in big crowds like that. And then on top of all of that, one of the main reasons to go there for Frankie uh, was to get Ayatollah al-Sistani, who is the highest Shia leader in Iraq. He wanted to get him to sign a document on human fraternity for world peace, which would be a, a real good PR trick for Frankie because he already got that same document signed by a leading Sunni cleric called Sheikh Ahmed Al-Tayeb. And he is the Grand Imam of Al-Azhar. And a big PR trick would be to get the Sunni and the Shia leadership to sign the same document, because normally they fight um, about who is right and so. Anyway, Frankie wanted to uh, do that, but then... Uh, unfortunately, Iraq indicated a couple of weeks ago that this signing will not happen. And uh, now... They won't even meet at all because Al-Sistani tested positive for COVID last week. Oh, wow. <laughs> but Frankie is still going. He will be there between the 5th and the 8th of March. And uh, who knows what he's going to do there because he can't draw big crowds and he can't meet the people he was supposed to meet. But at least finally the big popal visit to Iraq will happen. Uh, and then there's some other bad news for Frankie. I mentioned before that the Vatican finances were hit very hard by the pandemic last year with a deficit of about 50 million euro. It's the last, latest number. Turns out actually that it's worse than that because it appears the reason that it only shows up at 50 million euro uh, loss is because of some creative accounting. The Vatican has included the profit of Peter's Pence in the books 
Mm -hmm. for the first time this year. And if they hadn't done that, the loss would have been almost twice that amount. For people who don't know, Peter's Pence is the charity that we have mentioned before because Frankie has used it earlier to cover some Vatican losses. Instead of sending money to the poor, which is why they collect the money, he has used some of the money to cover uh, Vatican uh, uh, losses in the past. But now he's apparently he has stopped to, to pretend it altogether and he, he just included a whole shebang into the finances. So I, I wonder how people feel when they, they know now that they have donated money to Peter's Pence Fund because it would go to the poor and the poor happens to be the poor cardinals the poor <laughs> cardinals in the vatican so why is the vatican losing so much money actually it's not just the pandemic they have a problem that they've had for decades and decades and it's pretty simple actually they have too many employees and uh, like also people like less and less people are members right so they also receive less and less money. Right. And that's been worsened by the pandemic. But, but they, they've got thousands of employees. Yes. And they really should mm. cut down on staff. Any, any finance mm. experts say, well, you have too many people employed. You have to let them go. But nobody wants to do that. No pope has wanted to do that. Actually, even Paul VI in, in the, back in the six, 70s was aware of this problem, but he refused to fire anybody. Because if you're the Pope, you just don't do that, apparently. That's b bad PR. And all the Popes ever since have refused to let people go. And uh, Francis probably don't want to do it either, because he doesn't want to be remembered as the guy who started to fire people. Mm. So um, uh, this is a systemic problem for them, and also PR problem, but it hits the, the, the finances, and um, I don't know how they sh will get out of that. I wonder how many of those employees work at the Vatican Museums. I don't know. And, and that complex, because yes. it's a lot. It should be, yeah. And that accounts, I'm pretty sure, for... A large chunk of the loss of revenue for them yeah because i'm pretty sure that it's at least around eight to ten thousand people a day that enter the vatican museums normally yes normally normally no not not last year yeah, not last year times i'm not sure how much how much a uh, ticket costs but uh there are no free tickets for people over 65 anymore. Mm -hmm. So they charge everyone. And I'm pretty sure that it's around 14 or 15 euros per person uh, just for entering the museums. I'm sure it is. And yeah. times 10,000, that's a large sum of money. We're talking about 36 million euros a year hmm. so that's quite a large sum of money and without that and the staff still there that hurts yeah that hurts that yeah hurts. right uh, talking about the stuff i'm not sure you've mentioned it but i read it on the reuters a couple of days ago that uh the pope announced that those who, who are not willing to take up the vaccine among their employees, they might lose their job. Right. Yeah, I, I saw that too. That's right. He's pushing very hard for everybody to get vaccinated. And uh, that's a good thing, of course. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if he threatened to fire them, but uh, maybe he will just... That's what Reuters said. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I will look into that. The, the wording was that 
they may risk losing their job. <laughs> yeah, I wonder. So that's, yeah. With the background that yeah. he doesn't really want to fire anybody and they haven't fired anyone since the 70s or even earlier, I wonder. But there will be consequences if you don't get your jab. That's right. Yeah, and think about that. The average age of the cardinals and all the people oh, yeah. right. who reside in the Vatican or spend a lot of time in the Vatican, it's very high. So they are definitely in the risk group. So not too long ago, he himself, uh, Pope Francis, ha- has got his jab. And um, I think it was time. <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see. Right. But yeah, yeah. cool. Actually, I had another story as well. Uh, it's a sex abuse scandal, of course, but I will save that for next week because we have so much to talk about. Um, <laughs> and actually, I'm waiting for a little bit more information to come through. So what's special with this abuse scandal is it concerns something that actually happened in the Vatican, which is normally not the case because it's a very small country. Mm. With, with not too many children. Not too many children, yeah. All right. Thank you very much, Pontus. Thank you. And that means that we are about to find out what's new around Europe and the world. I added uh, or I included the whole world because when it comes to the pandemic, we cannot uh, really separate Europe from the rest of the world, right? But uh, yeah, Europe and the rest of the world, the world what, what are we doing? Are we winning against the COVID-19 yet? Uh, well, I'm, I'm afraid not. But mm. already 3% of the world's population has been given at least one shot of any kind of vaccine against COVID-19. Okay, to start. Which is a start. It's not that much. But considering how much of a logistical task it is to, to get everyone vaccinated, I think it's, it's pretty good. Even, even if it has been two months already that, that the vaccination has started. Mm. But it seems like there is a bit of a struggle between supplies and willingness. Uh, so there are issues with on, on both ends. But uh, we see we are seeing a couple of vaccines available at the, uh, already, and there are several more in the pipeline. But one of the issues is that there are so many pieces of information out there about the efficacy of the different vaccines that probably no one can really make heads or tails of, of all of them. So um, there are attempts at the moment to try and educate the people into accepting it no matter which one it is. Pfizer, for example, has just had um, quite a big sample size study going on in Israel, where already almost 100% of the population has been vaccinated. Wow. Which is absolutely amazing. I mean, the population is not that sizable, but even considering that, it's quite an achievement. And 1.2 million people have been included in in the the real-world data that Pfizer is now analyzing, and it looks very promising. They have already published in the new new england journal of medicine we can include the link to the article and um, it looks like the efficacy against symptomatic infections uh, was 57 percent until up to two weeks after the first jab but it rose to 94 percent after the second jab Hmm. seven days after the second jab so it's pretty good the study suggests that there is a protective effect against onward transmission as well which is quite promising because that's what we need if you want to achieve herd immunity right so we need to prevent transmission as well but there are other vaccines there is the sputnik vaccine more on that later i, I believe <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. 
And uh, there is the other one that that concerns a lot of people around the world by now, including my people, Hungarian people. My my dad still hasn't been vaccinated, uh, by the way. So one week was not enough to get him vaccinated, even though he has already been notified. So this is this is how well we're doing. But the Sinopharm vaccine, the, the Chinese vaccine, some people are not too cautious with it. And uh, that can easily result in a great success, like that of the United Arab Emirates, where there is a vaccination rate of 61% already with the Sinopharm vaccine. And before they started vaccinating, which was quite a bold move, uh, there had not been a phase three trial of the vaccine, and especially not data available on it. So they did their own with 31,000 people and uh, they they are sharing their own local test data right now uh, both with Sinopharm and the rest of the world but as of now we only have preliminary reportings but what they report on is that there is no development of serious disease that reported after the vaccination we don't know how effective it is against the new strains, but since it's a weakened virus and not just information like an mRNA that um, holds the information to produce the, the spike protein, that one protein, it might be better suited to fight new sta- strains. Why? It's because there are more potential antigens on the virus available than the spike protein itself right and this is exciting in so many so many levels so a lot of people are arguing against using the sinopharm vaccine obviously because there is no uh, phase three trial data available at the moment but if it turns out to be that good so far the results have uh, been circulating around the 80 percent rate that that have been reported it is quite good and if it works against several different strains better than the other vaccines, then it might end up being the one. I mean, there is not going to be one because we don't have enough supply of any of these vaccinations. And there is no good vaccine and bad vaccine. Uh, there are differences. There are differences in the method. So uh, as a result, there are differences in the efficacy. But uh, any vaccine, and and this is what almost every epidemiologist and virologist says as of now any vaccine is better than no vaccine yeah and we should remember also it's very hard to compare they you don't very often here quoted the efficacy in percentage yeah like 95 percent for this and just 63 for that but we need to remember they were tested in very different environments yes, and on different right. populations and on different yeah. strains and in in environments the, where the pandemic had come to certain different levels so it's really comparing apples and oranges to compare those uh, percentages yeah and uh, the other thing that i don't like is when they politicize the issue i mean in the general public's eye uh, it has already been over politicized but uh, Uh, no further politicization should happen, especially because we are all in this together. I mean, for some countries, the issue is now that it's the Chinese vaccine and we should not allow that, we should not accept that. And now there's talk of some countries uh, not being willing to uh, accept it um, as a vaccination if people want to travel into their countries in in the future. So this should not be based on 
the country of origin. This should be based on the science. And I have to remind everyone that as of now, the Sinopharm vaccine lacks a lot of scientific evidence, just like it, it was the case with the, the Sputnik V. Mm. But the science is getting clearer and clearer about Sputnik. It's just the public's perception that is very bad at the moment. Mm. So we should be very careful not to allow that to happen with the, the Sinopharm vaccine as well. So uh, exciting stuff. Uh, we are fighting this thing and... As we should. <laughs> and we are all waiting for our jabs. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Do you guys have any like agenda? Like, do you know when it'll happen? <laughs> no, I, I think uh, for the in, in Sweden, the older generation in the south of Sweden, where I live, will probably get vaccinated or start to get vaccinated in about... Uh, in a couple of weeks, three, four weeks, maybe. Mm. Uh, so some are some are being vaccinated right now, but it's different in different parts of the country, and it's different prioritizations because Sweden is so divided. It's different. Yeah, I have seen <laughs> one. Uh, the newspaper the other day said that the rest of the population would probably get starting to get vaccinated in uh, mid May. So mm -hmm. that's the best I can hope for, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah, yeah. sounds good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's the same for us. That's the plan. I think uh, by the end of May, they want to have at least one third of the population vaccinated. Mm -hmm. Wow, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, we're still nowhere near the 100% of Israel's yeah. achievement. Yeah. That's, that's mm. unbelievable. Yeah. Right. And the United Arab Emirates as well. That's yeah. 61% already. They're doing good job <laughs> and like we are um like my my grandpa and one of my grannies um are vaccinated now mm -hmm. but that's pretty much all the people i know <laughs> that have been vaccinated like i don't know if that's just me or if it's actual fact um what's happening but like germany seems to be pretty slow in the whole vaccine uptake <laughs> mm. Or it could feel like that because of the massive population, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we have a massive population, and we also have a lot of elderly. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. We have a very old population. That could also be that. Uh, like, Scotty is scheduled for I think late May or June, and I'm scheduled for like if I'm lucky October. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Wow. But yeah, could also be that I'd, I can't have it at all as as long as I'm breastfeeding. So. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. All right. Good. All right. So we've touched before on how the pandemic also likely has created indirect health problems, not just the, the COVID disease as such. And here's a, a clear example indicating that with uh, consequences that are hard to put exact numbers on. So there's uh, some researchers that have looked into the matter and seen that the number of cancer diagnoses in Sweden between March and October went down by 9.3%. That translates to over 6,000 fewer cases of cancer than normal. Other resources say that they have seen a steep decline in people seeking help for cardiovascular issues in Sweden. And obviously, there's no reason to believe that people don't get cancer and they don't have heart problems anymore. Instead, the conclusion must be that the pandemic makes people less willing to seek medical assistance. And that, of course, is a big problem. Uh, there are uh, other similar indications from the UK, for example. Mm -hmm. Uh, and three different studies in the UK have tried to estimate the increased number of deaths due to cancelled 
cancer treatments and the, their numbers vary between 2,500 and 18,000 people. So I don't know what to do about this, but it's something to be aware of. We, do, we might see some excess deaths because from other reasons than COVID, but due to the pandemic, people won't uh, seek medical assistance. So, so don't do that. I mean, don't stay at home because of that. If you feel that you may have a problem, do uh, go to the hospital and, and make sure that you get the treatment that you need. Because this is not good. Yeah, as long as you have a place to go and as you and and the place has people that actually work there and provide the care, that's a good thing. We are struggling with that here in this in this country. <laughs> right. That that may be of course be different from country to country. At least in Sweden, there are telephone numbers to call. If you feel the least worried, you call them, mm. you get to talk to medical experts, and they will advise you what to do. Mm. So don't take the decision on yourself and say, no, nah, I don't want to do it. I, maybe I shouldn't bother them now. They have so much to do with the COVID cases, so why should I call them? Call this number and make sure that you follow the experts' advice. And do they uh, work with volunteers uh, who who help them out with these uh, helplines? And uh, I think they're all paid, mm-hmm. but they, it's uh, they are manned enough that you do get a reply. It's not like you're getting a two and a half hour phone uh, <laughs> queue. Wow, it sounds like a fairy tale to me. <laughs> right to hear something working like that. Oh my god! Yeah, right. Now here, uh, some friends of mine report not being able to get a hold of their their gp mm, right so it's impossible to reach them <laughs> and, and they don't even pick up the phone so that's that's difficult to ask for help uh, yeah even telemedicine is difficult to be done when uh, there's no way to reach doctors yeah that's bad yeah and now orban has just reformed the public health system they wanted a pay rise so they gave gave him gave them a pay rise but at the price of being restricted very very strictly and uh, in many many different ways so a lot of people decided not to sign the new contracts that took effect two days ago mm. so uh, we are now thousands of people shorter than we used to be in the public health system workers i mean mm. wow <laughs> yeah isn't that good <laughs> mm, probably not no yeah. not very good at all uh. And something that's like similarly bad, <laughs> or maybe not as bad, but um, also not very funny, is that someone we all know, the COVID denier Wolfgang Wodak, is filing a lawsuit against Volksverpetzer. Volksverpetzer is a German um, educational page. It's not really for like science. Um, it's more that it's like debunking things. So it's a pretty awesome page. And uh, the cover deniers um, filing a lawsuit against them. But funnily enough, they sent the paperwork in and it's about five kilo of paper that is full of um, logical fallacies. It's very illogical. So they make weird claims. So what the folks of Petzer themselves called it is five kilo paper waste. <laughs> and that's pretty much what we can call it too. <laughs> so that's interesting. They're sending physical papers, actually. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's and like Germany for you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. So I wonder how many logical fallacies you get per kilo nowadays. It, I haven't seen the latest <laughs> statistic. <laughs> With the market prices. <laughs> yes. We should find that out. <laughs> 
Yeah, but uh, I would just like to say, like, Volksverpetzer, good job. It's almost like a knighthood, isn't it? Like, if you get <laughs> a lawsuit. <laughs> yeah, you're the confounder of the year. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so um, there are not many lawsuits involving these kind of uh, scammers as of yet, but there are reports of more and more scams emerging as the rollout of the, the COVID-19 vaccines continue. And uh, that is just human nature for you. When people want to make money, they don't shy away from, from scamming people like crazy. And especially those who are vulnerable enough so that they, they fall for a lot of stuff. So what are those types of uh, different vaccine scams? There are those that offer extra special registration that can help you jump the queue. Or if you pay a sum of a small sum of money, then you will jump the queue again. Obviously, there are phishing activities like people trying to get a hold of your account details. And uh, craziest ones are those that offer so-called spare vaccines from the black market that uh, oh someone someone just left here so I got a hold of it and uh, I'm happy to share it with you for a small sum of money you shouldn't fall for this but we have to understand that people who are desperate to get some help they will fall they will always fall for things like this and it looks like there are no age ranges that are specifically vulnerable one would think that it is happening for elderly people mostly but uh, at the moment it doesn't seem to be the case so the elderly usually when they uh, get internet access they get more vulnerable to um, internet-based scams but uh, this is just not the case at the moment it's Probably is because a lot of people are fed up now and uh, some people are willing to believe anything that that uh, help them get over this shit. And um, we should be on the lookout for those techniques. So one of the, the techniques is that the so-called scarcity principle that, you know, when, when people say that, hurry, there, there are only a few of these spare vaccines left that are that, that I got a hold of. Hmm. So don't fall, fall for them. First of all, if someone sends you a link, don't click on that link the direct links are usually not sent over by authorities so authorities tell you where to go and where you can find the information and then you can register and uh, wait for for the, the notification that you are eligible to to go and get your vaccine so uh, it's terrible when when i read things like this i start losing my belief in humanity a little bit every single time right. but um yeah thankfully there are those who help other people and there is I, i've never known about that which that news outlet and no it's it's like uh, helping people understand stuff it's like how 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 stuff works it's a it's a little bit a little bit similar to that and they put together a nice video explaining things to look out for when when trying to avoid scamming Right. But it doesn't help. We have a local example here in the south of Sweden where the the local region, the health region, went out and sent out information saying, 
don't believe if people call you to offer you a, a covid vaccine you just hang up because that's not how it works we will not call you at the same <laughs> time unless, another unless it's your gp <laughs> yeah but at the same time as they went out with this information in printed things that was put in in people's letterboxes uh, this another branch of the same organization actually called 3000 uh, uh, elderly people and offered them uh, vaccine shots to book the, and that was legit yeah it was just that they they used the phone when the other part of the organization said we will never call you and then they called you and of course a lot of people just hung up the phone yeah which was a terrible disaster yeah it's um easy to get things wrong yeah that's terrible organizational work yeah yeah <laughs> that's, not, that's not good so here's another thing where you can't really trust the government or you don't trust the government. And actually, I want to give a shout out to Bob, our friend in in Spain, who from time to time send us uh, uh, tips like this. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is actually about Russia. There is a non-governmental Russian research organization called Levada Center, and they have... Uh, conducted a poll recently uh, about the Russian public's uh, perception of uh, how the vaccine should work and if they trust it, etc. It turns out that 62% of Russians, according to this poll, do not want to take the Sputnik V vaccine. So they don't trust the Russian vaccine, even in Russia. And uh, the, this poll uh, looked into other things as well. 56% of the population is not afraid of getting COVID. They think it's uh, not something very serious. It won't hurt them. Also, um, they were more scared, actually, about the vaccine, it seems. 37% are afraid of side effects, which is up from 29% in December. So the, the number of people being afraid of the vaccine is getting up. And then they asked about the actually the, the virus itself, the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Where did it come from? And only 23% of Russians believe that the SARS-CoV-2 virus originated naturally. Oh, man. 64% <laughs> said they think it was produced artificially oh. as a new form of biological weapon. Mm. That's two-thirds of the population almost think that that's the, what happened. And 13% uh, says, well, it could be. We don't know exactly. <sighs> and uh, the worst age group is uh, the ones 40 to 54 years old. Th th those are the ones that mistrust the government, the authorities, the vaccine uh, more than ever. 71% of them think that uh, the virus is actually a new form of biological weapon. Wow. It's hard to get the herd immunity up there if you want to vaccinate people. Oh, yeah. And I don't think Putin will will say, no, no, okay, fine, you don't get the Sputnik vaccine, we will import something from abroad instead if you would like that better. No. He will insist on the Sputnik and then people won't take it and... Uh, this is how bad it becomes when it, when it becomes a political issue. Yeah. When it's politically motivated whether you believe in the results or not. Because the science is getting firmer and firmer on the Sputnik 5, including some data that suggests that, that it works pretty well against the UK and the South Africa strains as well. 
Yeah. So, oh, no, and of course we <laughs> should say, I mean, they did everything wrong with the Sputnik to begin with. They yeah. started to vaccinate people before they had gone through the phase three trial. So that was that was a mistake. That's a no-no. You don't do that. But now, six months later, you can say we we have a de facto yeah. uh, phase three trial because a lot of people got vaccinated and we can look at the actual results and it turns out for luck or skill we don't know exactly what but it happens to be that the sputnik vaccine seems to be working pretty well yeah and then you don't have to be so afraid of it anymore yeah but it's a mistake that was made on a political level right and not by science i mean i'm pretty sure it wasn't a scientist who said that no we don't need the phase three trials no 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 we don't need them. no it's the political pressure that they put on them and and that's that's should not be done right. however have you have you heard of uh, the queen the british I've, i mean i've heard of the queen <laughs> yes the queen doing something very extraordinary that she not, doesn't usually do right that she did she, she got vaccinated uh, almost i almost said in public but yeah and and uh, long after she got vaccinated she started campaigning for people vaccinating as well right, right. she even called out people not to be selfish in a way so she says she said to be to to do this for the others for for the rest right. of us she said all the right things and by the way this is the, we said just the queen this is elizabeth the second oh yes of, yes yes, of, yes, yes. Of, uh, <laughs> great britain just to avoid the any queen confusion yeah, yeah. <laughs> some other countries <laughs> actually we're talking about susan gerbig sorry guys <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so she doesn't usually do that. No. And that's quite extraordinary. And uh, I think now that was a d- the right thing to do. But imagine Putin doing the same thing. King Putin. King Putin. <laughs> it's, it's not going to happen. No. It will not have the same effect. Right. Because people are, are very prone to, to believing conspiracy theories, aren't they? Yeah. And the thing is that there's a new study out from the UK. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to find out when do conspiracy theories start to take hold? Because, um, well, this little girl that's like um, close to me right now, <laughs> she doesn't believe in any conspiracy theories yet. She's agnostic. Yes. Or not that you know of. <laughs> and as we all know, like toddlers, and uh, they don't even know the difference between lying or like fantasy and fact or like legends and fairy tales. So... They just wanted to find out when can we actually talk about people believing in conspiracy theories and when do they also stick. And they said, like, in times of crisis, as we saw with COVID, conspiracy theories tend to uh, prosper and because there are ways to cope with uncertainty or with a threat. The problem is they usually don't make things better. Uh-huh. Quite the contrary. They're linked to conflicts, to prejudices, to even to genocides, and of course to the rejection of important scientific advances and facts. And they wanted to find out, yeah, look, for example, in COVID, with COVID-19, the um, conspiracy theories lead to vaccine rejection and to reluctance to follow the rules to, to slow down the pandemic. And... Now they wanted to find out how do conspiracy theories actually affect children. And Mm -hmm. so far, the studies have only been with adults. Um, This study was pretty new in that regard, and they called it the Adolescent Conspiracy Beliefs Questionnaire that they developed. And in the UK, surprisingly, um, most children started believing around the age of 14. So not, not all children believed in those conspiracy theories, but those who did started at age 14 Mm -hmm. so the belief 
um, increased from 3.7 to 4.67. So you can see it's still not very big. Like the amount of people believing is not very big, but it definitely peaks around uh, age 14 and then plateaus. And um, that's the age where you realize that your parents are in on the conspiracy, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And they said um, it seemed that it also is a bit um, more children believe in, in conspiracy theories right now. And they thought it could be because pretty much everybody's homeschooled. Mm -hmm. So they're isolated from their peers. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, they really tend to go more into social media and get their, their news from social media. Which doesn't help. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And digital literacy is not really in the curriculum in the UK. Mm -hmm. So that's making the matters even worse. And yeah, I found that really interesting that, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's, it really starts to, to um, take hold at age 14. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's why it's so important to teach critical thinking in, in the school. Yes, exactly. And uh, I don't know if I mentioned that, but we did have a, a skeptics in the pub online, a Swedish skeptics in the pub online in English uh, with a uh, guy uh, called Philippe Blanchon. And he was, and he's got the mm -hmm. titles Teacher of the Year in Sweden last year mm -hmm. for his uh, teaching of critical thinking in the classroom. Yeah, and and I just wish it would be maybe like an EU rule to to have critical thinking in the curriculum in all schools. Yes, uh. and not as maybe even as a subject, like not something that is just like, oh, we put it in the end after the exams, um, maybe in like a, a class that no, not everybody has anyways. Yeah, thing. yeah. <laughs> but something that's really integrated and really something you can't go through a school yeah with yeah but that's difficult because i know i know that i've been talking to some politicians here in sweden i've talked to my daughters as well who've been studying to become teachers and in sweden the what they say is that critical thinking uh should be embedded in all the subjects in school yeah however that's very close to saying we don't care about it because yeah If you say it's in everything, then you it's in nothing. Yeah. Yeah, it's supposed to be horizontal. Yeah, but still, you need you need to combine it. You need to have it integrated, but you also need to focus on it specifically from time to time, so that people yes, so that the students get a, a reminder what it is and how to apply it. Yeah, and especially because as teachers, we are not even getting taught critical thinking. Like That's my opinion, yeah, as well. <laughs> Correct. And as long as you can't don't know what it is and how to do it, then you can't teach it. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. It can only be horizontal if you can apply it yeah. as a teacher. If not, it cannot work. That's right. And and when I did talk to these politicians, the, their idea was It has to be included. Critical thinking has to be included in the curriculum uh, in the university when you study to become a teacher. And I said, that's fine. That's great. We want that. However, what are you going to do with all the old teachers? Yes. Who didn't have that. Yeah. Because they're still going to be in circulation, if you will, for the ne next 20 to 30 years. <laughs> and if they'd never learned uh, what critical thinking is, they cannot teach it to the kids. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so... <sighs> One of the things that we need is uh, getting acquainted with all the, the critical thoughts, right? And if someone is interested, you can find a lot of those kinds of materials online. And now there is even something very exciting, which is the European Skeptics Congress 2019. 
the whole of it or, or at least all the talks are now available on the youtube channel of the european skeptics congress awesome <laughs> isn't it awesome that's very good it took a while though yeah it did uh <laughs> 18 months <laughs> never mind <laughs> But uh, there are talks like uh, a very nice commemoration of uh, William Betts by Amadeo Sarma. Yeah. Uh, we hear f about the information network homeopathy by Norbert Aust. There we, we hear about some anti-vaccination activism going on in some countries, especially in Romania by Ovidio Covacu. How uh, scientists can use magicians to study how paranormal beliefs come about. We have a talk uh, by Mike Heap about anomalistic uh, psychology in the classroom and uh, there are even two talks very interesting talks about how nuclear energy and decarbonization can go hand in hand and uh, one of the speakers we interviewed on this show as well Ida Ruizhalme so there are some other talks that are, are definitely worth uh, listening to so obviously we will include the, the link to the playlist on the show notes great yeah really great mm -hmm. something that's not so great and sorry to break the mood down is that a study found that freshwater fish are in a catastrophic decline oh Whoa. They say nearly a third of all fish are threatened um, by extinction. 80 species already died in the last few years or already died out. And the numbers um, have plummeted and are still plummeting because of pollution, unsustainable fishing, um, damming and draining of rivers and wetlands and other causes. Interestingly, larger species of fish have fallen by um, 94%, which is pretty epic. Mm. And um, in the UK, um, the sturgeon, the burbot and the salmon are disappearing or, or have already vanished. And the European eel is also endangered. Um, so it's not even, it sounds weird, but it's not like any weird fish that you never heard of is disappearing but it's like actual fish that you heard of <laughs> yeah that are disappearing and it's mostly down to the poor state of rivers because of sewage of dams and pollutions so what you can think about that is it, it should be down to the politics and also to individuals to make rivers habitable again mm -hmm. and what they also say is not to only think of big rivers like the thames or so but to think about large and small bodies of water um, and protect all of them like even the little pond <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah we can we can pretty much say it's not only part of climate change but it's part of what humans are doing to the planet but what you can also see here especially with the largest species is pretty much an evolution caused by human <laughs> uh, human <laughs> kind yeah right bad news it is so we need some good news right yes <laughs> yeah oh, so i have one <laughs> good <laughs> follow-up uh, from something i talked about several episodes ago not too long ago i can't remember i, do, I don't i didn't look it up <laughs> anyway we i talked about an md a doctor who uh, did uh, something rather spectacular he helped a person a patient to commit suicide and the person was terminally ill was in a lot of pain and there was just a question of waiting for 
him to die mm-hmm. naturally, and it was a big suffering. I remember that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. So this doctor helped the person, supplied him with all the necessary things. First, of course, made absolutely sure that this is what he's, he wanted, the patient. Also that the family was in agreement. He brought the stuff. I can't remember exactly what it was. And then he just said, okay, here it is. You do with it what you will. And then he backed away deliberately putting his hands behind his back so he didn't couldn't be accused of actively helping in the act and then when the when it was done when the person had committed suicide then he turned himself in the doctor turned himself in and said i did this and i want this to be tried in swedish court and now it has been Uh, Or rather, it will not be, because uh, there will not be charges for manslaughter against this doctor. The legal system somehow, and I don't know the the, the law, so I don't know on what grounds, but it's been decided that uh, they will not bring charges for manslaughter against this person. So that's good news. And I think what is good about this is that it creates awareness about this problem and uh, awareness of that we are not treating people as well as we do with our pets sometimes Uh yeah if your beloved dog is beyond uh, saving and uh, the dog is in a lot of pain you, you help the dog and we should allow that same thing for for people and that is my opinion especially because we can give consent (laughs) we can give consent and it's the least we can do at least is to have a discussion about it and 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 have a conscious decision this is it's it's a problematic ethical uh, issue but at least we need to discuss it and decide how we want our world to be in this respect what is remaining for this in this case for this doctor to see is if they will take away his medical license and um, for this doctor it's not a question of his livelihood because he's retired already but you still have your medical license with you and uh, he is going to fight to keep it not because he wants to continue to be a doctor but because he wants to continue to drive this issue to uh, make sure that it's in some way this discussion can lead to a better uh, set of rules yeah okay still on the topic of treatments uh we recently reported that professor adzadernst published a new book which is alternative medicine was hilft was schadet <laughs> Sehr gut. Right. Sehr gut. Sehr gut. Yes. What works and what does not. Yes. Right? Or what hurts. Yeah. 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 And uh, he uh, lists uh, 20 of the best and 10 of the worst so-called alternative medicinal treatments. And um, he did a very generous thing because obviously the book is published in German. And he did say that it would not be translated into English. So what he does now is apparently sharing bits of his work of his book on his blog in English and uh, this time he lists the 20 best alternative medicinal treatments that he can list interestingly some of the therapies that he lists among these 20 are very close to conventional treatments so in some cases you even question whether it's actual alternative medicine uh what am i talking about like uh, applying glucosamine it's something that lacks 
very strong evidence, but still looks like it does something beneficial. Music therapy, that's not really alternative treatment. It's something that soothes your chakra. Your chakra, not... <laughs> your mind so it eases your mind a little bit pilates yoga tai chi those are definitely beneficial because if you don't consider them treatments if you don't consider them alternative medicine but you consider them relaxation therapies or, or something that helps you relax there are other categories like like actual physical therapies and pharmacological therapies but why he lists them among the 20 best so-called alternative medicine uh, medicinal treatments is because those are the ones that have some obvious benefits but the reason to call them alternative is because they still lack the proper research or the evidence that uh, they have for the efficacy of these treatments is not always sound enough. Yeah. And it often comes with a lot of mumbo-jumbo. Yeah, mumbo-jumbo, especially... Spiritualism and things. Yeah. yeah, yoga and tai chi. I would love to do yoga without the mumbo-jumbo. <laughs> uh, that, that would be great. <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, he says that the 20 best doesn't mean any of them is better than the available conventional therapies, though. <laughs> so yeah. it's, um, it gives you a good enough reason why they are listed as complementary on alternative medicine. All right. With all that, I think we are running out of news, but we probably do have a really right or a really wrong to talk about. Yes, or maybe both. Or both. Yeah. I mean, didn't you wonder as well? I wondered why it took so long. But of course now, Quinnit bloody Paltrow has got some COVID misinformation going. Great. <laughs> so, uh, I, yes, apparently uh, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow has had COVID and she didn't... Be it, it was probably a, a little bit on the bad side because it, according to her, if we could take her word for anything... It took her some time to get back, to get uh, well again. and But of course she did it. And she uh, has her own recipes, of course. COVID can be treated with intuitive fasting, quote-unquote. Which is the greatest shit anyways. Yeah, Sorry. it is, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Herbal cocktails is a good thing. And uh, also regular visits to an infrared sauna, which is a thing. And I think it's is growing. Uh, mm, let's not get started. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, she uh, at least have some sort of self awareness because she said she uh, suffered from brain fog, which is, I think, something the rest of us could have told her a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> but also uh, a long tail fatigue and. Um, she turned then to the advice of a, quote, functional medicine practitioner, end quote, which means uh, not a doctor. Yeah. And uh, she was told that um, in her case, it, it, it was that the healing would take a little bit longer than usual. And she embarked then on different diets, a keto and plant-based diet, uh, fasting until 11 a.m. every day, a Apparently, the COVID virus knows what time of day it is. Mm -hmm. uh, she had lots of coconut aminos. Okay. <laughs> I don't, I'm not aware of those. Uh, Sugar-free kombucha, kimchi, 
she of course also went on to recommend in for others her brand's Madame Ovary supplement for madams who have ovaries, I guess, <laughs> and uh, something called Seedlip, the incredible herbal non-alcoholic cocktail. <sighs> you know, you can go on and on and on. Uh, and she's still going to the infrared sauna as often as she can, uh, all in the service of healing, she says. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, she suggested that there was a lot of evidence for the efficacy of her diets. Um, and she said, quote, I have been doing major research and finding some great stuff <laughs> to support what I'm doing, end quote. So that sounds reassuring. Absolutely. Coming from her. Absolutely. <laughs> So uh, it's it's almost hard to make fun of her because she's doing it, such a good job of it herself. She did, however, get uh, a stern rebuke uh, in his very British way from Professor Stephen Powis, who is National Medical Director for NHS England. Uh, she urged influencers such as Paltrow uh, not to spread this kind of misinformation. And he said, quote, and you have to imagine this in the most British uh, voice. I, I'm not sure I can uh, do it justice. But he said, quote, in the last few days, I see Gwyneth Paltrow is unfortunately suffering from the effects of COVID. We wish her well, but some of the solutions she is recommending are really not the solutions we recommend here at the <laughs> NHS, end quote. Nicely done. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there are good guys in the world as well, but um, Gwyneth Paltrow is not one of them. Yeah. Are you surprised? <laughs> so uh, let me conclude to say that for being such a Paltrow, Gwyneth <laughs> gets today's <laughs> prize for being really wrong. And the national director of NHS England gets a really right for standing up to her in his own very British way. Uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> well deserved, <laughs> <Very good>. both. <laughs> very, very good. Thank you very much. Okay, that concludes our show, which means for those who have endured and uh, lasted until this this moment you can listen to the great quote from brian cox skepticism oh i should try doing it in his <laughs> in his time but i would i i shan't no <laughs> so skepticism must go hand in hand with rationality when theories are shown to be false, the correct thing to do is to move on. Right on. Yes. <laughs> right on. <laughs> so, we don't know if we are wrong and uh, uh, our theories have been shown to be false, but uh, we are definitely moving on to the next week. Uh, but I'd like to thank both of you, Annika and Pontus, for joining me this week. Thank you. Thank you. As well as I'd like to thank and show our gratitude to our listeners for tuning in. Please keep doing so. And until next week, goodbye. Tschüss. Hello. Vislat. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. 
We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Shrub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe <laughs> It's good that you do the, the, the motions the heads, as well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, they can't. You can't. He can't project the whole, whole <laughs> no, squirrel. That's right. Yes. <laughs> you have to go into the role. Really, yes. this is called acting. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Great. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Pontus coughing the pope. on the pope. <laughs> coughing on the pope, giving him COVID. <laughs> Are linked to conflicts, to prejudice, even to genocides. <laughs> Okay, Luna. She wants, wants to, to have a word. Yeah, right, yeah. Okay. Okay, so okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> We're listening. <laughs> okay. <laughs> She's fine again. <laughs>